Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out, John O'White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Timothy Wong. Uh, Tim is the Chief Executive Officer of Team Invest Private. Welcome to the podcast, Tim. Well, good afternoon, John. Now, we were just saying before we started recording that um, uh, in terms of Team Invest Private, you've uh, you've been in your current role 
um, since uh, you know since February this year. So tell us a little bit about Team Invest yes. Private and about and about what you do as CEO before we jump into hearing a bit of your story. Right, I'm CEO of Team Invest Private on the financial services side of it. Uh, so it's not Team Invest Private uh, as a group. Um, I started in February this year. Um, the company itself runs um, various numbers of different business units, um, private equity, financial services in funds management, trustees, uh, and quite a number of other peripheral offerings uh, within the, the, um, the financial services sector. So I think as a, as a whole, uh, Team Invest Private is really an investment. Uh, to some extent, it's almost classified as an investment bank if we get all the licenses lined up. So um, it's a, it's a, it's a smallish, uh, medium-sized company, but it's going to, uh, in big places over the coming five or six years. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and, and tell us about CEO of financial serv- the financial services part of the business. What does what uh, being a CEO involve? Um, so I lead uh, a group of seven business units uh, in, in various forms and shapes, including debt financing, uh, commercial leasing, um, you know, fund management, um, potentially there could be brokerage, uh, equities, um, in, in listed equities space and a number of other uh, smaller parts of, um, um, of offerings that really, really gives the well-rounded, like I said, almost an investment bank type approach to, to our clients. Um, one, one of the key things that we, we try to look at um, from a team invest private perspective is there, there's two things that we look at. There are two core principles of the company. The first one is about having a noble purpose. So a noble purpose could be to do with ESG, to do with um, understanding how the environment works within a financial services sector. That's one. The second, uh, the second principle is about transferring knowledge between generations. So our private equity um, model is really about founder-led companies, which runs, obviously, for the last 20 or 30 years, which are at a stage where there is a potential a succession plan. So we would come in and take portion of that company and looking at ways of transferring that knowledge between um, a founder and, uh, and a younger individual. So those two principles makes up Team Invest Private. And I think to me that that's the reason why I uh, joined the company. Uh, the purpose and the way things work here is uh, it's very purpose driven. Yeah, incredible. It sounds like a, a really interesting organization. And uh, mm. thanks for articulating a bit about what you do. And and like you said, exciting mm. to see what happens over the next few years. Uh, let's yes. jump into your story, Tim. I, I want to start with your childhood and growing up in that season of your life when you were when you were little. What were some of the moments from that season that really shaped you into the person and the leader you are today? Well, interesting that um, I, I came to Australia from Malaysia when I was 10. Uh, and you know, really, I came over here without any knowledge of English um, or any sort of Western background. So I, I came in 1982, so that was some years ago, when Australia was very Anglo-Saxon and, and uh, not a lot of support mechanisms were in place for overseas migrants. So I came through that, that time of change. Um, I think that a lot of the migration, particularly from Asia and came in 88, so it's quite a few years after that. So we, we went through um, a lot of challenges. My parents went through a lot of challenges primarily because we couldn't speak English and the schools won't accept us. So um, uh, interestingly, I was, uh, me and my brothers, I've got two brothers, uh, were accepted in, with a, into a Catholic school and that Catholic school helped us with our, with our English. Uh, with our English. Um, and thinking back now, I can't recall a day I can't speak English. Just rather interesting, but anyway, that that's that's what it was before. Um, <laughs> but, you know, those days, my mum and dad ran a shop, and they they were really 
uh, they were really hard working, worked seven days a week, seven to seven, um, sent three, three boys to, through private school. And, you know, we, we had to get up at six in the morning. We helped the shop and, uh, and, and go to school. And then we came back and we still got to help put a lot of stock back up on the shelves and those sort of stuff because we couldn't afford to pay anyone. So those sort of stuff, it, it sort of built a bit of steel in individuals. So when I, when I left school and went to uni, you know, I said to myself, John, that I would never do that to, to my children, you know, because I just think that that's just a tough way of, of growing up. But yeah, back yeah. then, we don't know any better. And, uh, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it taught hard work. It taught resilience. Um, and, yeah, so that, that was the very first sort of, I guess, lesson in, in looking at how the future um, potentially could, could be better for different generations. And that, that was something that I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that because I, I think you hit the nail on the head that, um, uh, and I really love your approach. You look back on and you reflect on it and you go, you know what, I think that built resilience and probably an incredible work ethic from watching your parents. I mean, that just blows me away. Um, at, at the same time, you then went to uni and went, I want to I be able to build on on that hard work and that work ethic mm-hmm. so that my kids don't have to do that. And, and I think that's the... Mm that's the um, integration that, uh, that that I love hearing. What lessons did you learn from your parents, watching them seven days a week, seven to seven? You know, what, what lessons mm. did you learn about how they did business that have stuck with you, um, you know, and is just as true now as a CEO as it was for them running, running their business? One of the core lessons, in fact, it's probably the core lesson I learned from it, is, you know, it's about working smarter, not about working harder. My parents... Whilst my dad was educated in the US, you know, they've got that know-how and skill, but they're too scared to employ people. They just work really hard themselves to save that dollar. So at the end of the day, um, you're thinking, you know, that's, that's probably not what it's about. For me, um, since, so since that time, we were moving forward, I went and bought myself. So I went and worked at BP and, and um, as a graduate and so forth. But then I went and bought myself a service station when I was 24. And, you know, I was following the same path and I just had to stop myself and go, well, you know, if I got to work hard, like what I did before and uh, what my parents did, and I'm going to have the same life. So over the course of um, days when I was at, at, the, at the service stations, I thought, you know, that's, that's not what life is about. That's not leadership. So that, the, the galvanizing of, of working smarter started to come in at that point. So I was 24, 25. Um, it was just an interesting, interesting phase of my life because I, I got married when I was about 27 and had a kid and mm. so forth. And, you know, it, it was all sort of jumbled up. But I did have that resilience in my head to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to work hard. Or not so much not work hard, but I'm, I'm going to work really smart on developing, mm. you know, developing myself. Mm. Are there any areas as a CEO and as a leader in 2022 mm. that you think working smarter, not harder, has been a particularly important uh, mindset for you? I think in general, it's, it's important. So um, as, as, the, as the leader of an organisation, it's, it's critical to me to, to understand and know how to read a room. You know, to, to read a room, leadership, it's a, it, it's, a, it's a word that a lot of people banter around and then throw around and say, well, you know, he's a leader because of his position. Really, leadership is not about a position or an office. It's about what you actually do with people. And, and one, uh, one saying that, that, um, that I learned um, from years ago is that you're not a leader if you don't have followers. And followers really would follow uh, someone who they believe in and who wants to share their vision with them. Um, to me, that, that journey is, is, is what leadership is all about. Um, I, I, I think I think quality um, of of just reading the room is critical to trying to get an outcome from uh, from from people. Um, that's you know that, that's what I see, don't I? Mm. Yeah, I love what you said there about um, <laughs> having followers. I, I love the quote: "A leader without followers is just a person taking a walk." Mm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's so true, isn't it? It's yeah. uh, you know you gotta you gotta stop um, sometimes thinking too much about 
leading and think more about the people mm. you're leading because without them, yeah, you're just a person taking a walk. I love that. I love that sort of idea. Uh, so as you were growing up, what, you know, can you remember your first uh, sort of out of your depth leadership opportunity where, where you had the chance to do something, but you felt like you were out of your depth where you were really being stretched or, um, you know, you had to lead a group of people or cast vision yeah. and, and it was just a particularly um, challenging leadership, early leadership opportunity. It was, it was quite odd actually. So I, I, um, I joined Ray White group. So the Ray White real estate group, um, quite young. And I, I came in as, as a, a, a sort of pseudo strategist who helped with um, looking at how the business grows. And I, I was very interested in franchising and I spent a lot of time and understanding, you know, through the, through the BP franchise process and also through, um, through a Ray White franchise process. I was, I was thinking, you know, that's, that's something that I was really interested in. So, so Ray White gave me the position of a, some sort of a strategist and I was only 33, 34 and, you know, sitting, sitting, sitting with the White family at their home in uh, in Point Piper, that was uh, that was pretty surreal. I uh, I didn't think I was at that level, but uh, but yeah, no, I was was out of my depth probably. But the one thing I do do is that I'm one of those that are um, are not scared to to speak up, so I back myself, um, which which rightly or wrongly could potentially be 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 seen as either uh, maybe arrogant or or um, a bit more out there but you know I'm uh, I sort of I sort of try to put a view forward that I believe is right and it's not always mm -hmm. right as, as we all know mm. Mm. yeah and I think that it comes up a lot on the podcast actually this tension mm. of in leadership of humility uh, but mm. we, you know we're we're very quick to talk about humility vulnerability you know one of the one of the words at the moment that it's a buzzword, but it's, it's because it's true is empathy. You know how powerful empathy is, but we don't, people don't want to be led by someone who's super indecisive, um, really hears yeah. everyone, but never makes a decision. There is a confidence and a courage and a strength of conviction and decisiveness to, you know, to actually, and, and I think one of the, one of my biggest learnings from the podcast is that those two things have to coexist and often uh, yes. we lean towards one way or the other but the biggest one of the biggest challenges as a leader is to grow in humility and being quick to say when you're wrong and quick to listen yes. and yes. to grow in strength of conviction and when you do make a decision to to be as someone said on, on the podcast to be ruthless about execution you know when it comes to mm. if we make a decision we're going somewhere great leaders are able to have that ruthless um, yes. consistency and intentionality. Yes. How have you found that tension? You know, what, what have you learned about managing that tension of humility with confidence and, and courage and strength? I would, I would put, I would put humility, uh, in, in the same basket as pragmatism, you know, to be pragmatic about things, I think is crucial in a leader uh, and not just be bombastic and be very forthright. Um, I found it, at times difficult to um, to to put my view forward in the, in, in, in the boardroom or in, in situations where you've got some very um, you know uh, uh, independent people who really want to view want to want to push their, their vision across um, I, I do I do have uh, these those sort of issues where where sometimes it is hard for you to um, to express what you want to express, um, and also the, the the other aspect of of that is listening. You know, listening is crucial in what we do. Um, as a CEO, I would tend to listen uh, two thirds of the time in a meeting, and I'll talk for a third. So I don't talk as much as a lot of other CEOs. But what I do is I want to take it in, read the room, understand where we're all going, because at the end of the day. There is a point where we want to reach. The ruthlessness of getting to that point is crucial, but also you've got to have the right vehicle. You've got to have people to go with you. If you force yeah. it on people and they don't want to do it, it is just no real point because at the you know the results aren't there. If the results aren't there, there's no real well, you know, you're not a leader. Yeah, that's mm. right. Uh, yeah, that's right. I, I love that perspective. Um, so in your career so far, Tim who are some of the mentors along the way who have had the biggest influence on your leadership? Um, well, one, other, one, one key 
I'm not sure it was an individual group, but when I was at the, um, at the Ray White group, um, the, the White family really helped. The way, they, the way they drive the business and the way they move, and I'm out of that group now for about 15 years, but in that time, they really taught me the, the vision and uh, what leadership means, you know, the, the ability to lead, the ability to, to get results without being a ball breaker to some extent, um, and, and, the way to, and the way to influence people. So these are the things that, that really helped me. And, and whilst I did an MBA and, and, and all those sort of things, you know, you can read it in the books, but seeing it in action, uh, particularly with, with, uh, with Brian White and Sam White, those people mm. were, um, were absolutely fantastic. You know? And I learned a lot through that group. Yeah, any moments from mm. the Ray White group that really are ingrained in your memory where you watch them manage a crisis or the way they dealt with people or stakeholders or advice someone mentioned to you that's always stuck with you from them? Any, any stories from your time uh, with the Whites that really, um, uh, yeah, for some reason pops into your mind? Yeah, so, you know, I mean, the thing is, in real estate, everyone wants to, to sell, right? You make money by, by, by selling properties, commercial or residential or industrial, whatever. But you know, and and there were there were training budgets that were that were astronomical in terms of millions of dollars to trying to get people to sell more and and to, to get people to be energized to, you know, to basically run through walls to trying to get get sales. I mean, it's a very competitive market. But you know, through through all that, we we did some analysis and the analytical team went through and did numbers. And the numbers really comes up to say that you know. On average, it doesn't matter in a good market or in a bad market, a salesperson will sell 1.2 houses a month. That's an average in a, in, a, in a buoyant market or in a flat market, still 1.2 houses. And it really works out that the hu humanity is when we make enough money, we don't work as hard. Interestingly, you know, month by month, that, that sort of analysis, it took, it took three or four months to come out. And the team really put something together like that and put it forward to the white family. And usually um, in, in real estate, they're, they're, they're very gun ho you know, they, they sort of, they sort of um, um, push the limits and, and, and really pushes the, the ability to sell. But in, in this instance, we go, well, hang on, what if we change our underlying concept from a, from a real estate sales company to almost a recruitment company? The more salespeople you have, the more 1.2 sales you're going to get every month. You know, it, it, that, that whilst in, it, to, to the layman out there may not be a big change in mentality, that's a generational change in the Ray White group. Mm. And, and, and I was so <laughs> impressed that the White family wow. actually took that on. You know, I mean, their grandfather, their, their great-grandfather, they, they all started it and none of them thought of it that way. So then mm. that, that move really, I was thinking, wow. They can actually change um, the way they think, the way they move things to suit the market, yeah. and it works really well. You know, and over the, the the course of the last ten years, I think they've they've grown to be the biggest group in Australia now. Hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. And and what I love about that reminds me of the Jim Collins Hedgehog um, concept oh, yes. in his book. I think good to great. great. And and yes. the that's Hedgehog the book that concept. I give everyone, by the way, don't I? Oh, there you go. I got in. I, we got it in early. That's great. That'd be. That's one of mine. Yes. That's one of mine too. So I'm. I'm 100 on board yes. with you. I love the hedgehog. Yes. Um, it's a hedgehog yes. concept. Is it a hedgehog? Yeah. And uh, and it's the the overlap of those three things. What what can you actually be the best in the world at? What are you mm -hmm. What are you passionate about? And the one that mm -hmm. always that always confused me was this idea of profit per x or cost. per cost yes. per x and and i always went mm. i don't know what he's talking about there because I, I completely get that you, you know what what are you super passionate about that you know is your reason for existing what can you actually be the best in the yes. world at really mm -hmm. helpful filters but i sat there and scratched mm -hmm. my head a lot about this idea of profit per x what i'm hearing you say there is a really interesting development at the ray white group where they realized wait a second we're trying to say um we're we're trying to uh you know, look at this idea of profit per X, we're, we're kind of doing, mm. um, trying to maximize that rather than realize, you know, we're sort of fighting an uphill battle. Why don't we just leverage yeah. the fact that 
um, if we can find great people and bring them in and they can average 1.2 yes. a month. And so it's that, what I'm hearing about that is a change in economy and a change. And that's, that's one of the best yes. examples I've ever heard of that part of the mm. hedgehog concept. Yeah, well, um, and, and, and just, just on that book, I mean, I'm, we're not talking about that book, but just on that book, I sort of um, follow the flywheel model very well uh, to the hilt as well when I, when I was, was the CEO of the, the childcare groups where it's all decentralized. Even Ray White, they're all decentralized. You know? You've got 160 centers across the country and, you know, um, to, to how do you manage those centers? And a lot of people use a centralized management system, whereas I use the flywheel system. Hmm. Can you unpack that? Because that sounds really interesting. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So. So. Um. So in uh, in in a general in, in a decentralized model from either franchised or or um, or company run businesses, you, you tend to have an area manager. You have the regional managers. You have the um, you know the, the the usual the layers of of managers until you get to the CEO. Um, I sort of think that's, I, I don't really agree to some extent on that sort of way of doing it. I mean, there, there are a need for area managers where they, they sort of, um, they, they work with a group of, of centers, but the centers themselves or the businesses themselves have got star performance within them. Why can't they take more responsibility? So what we did was we, we, we started using the, the model of let, let, let one of those people or two of those people become the superstars within a cluster. And that superstar then permeate the culture throughout the whole group, throughout the whole, that, that particular group. And that particular group then started flourishing because they follow an influence by two or three of the respected people within. That, that flywheel model worked substantially well, particularly when I was in New Zealand, where, where they were, you know, uh, New Zealand is a very, very um, diverse and, and spread population, you know, in Australia, a lot of us are in capital cities and so forth. But over there, uh, I think it's 50% are in rural area. So a lot of the population are outside of the capital city. So you don't get that synergy coming to the office, doing stuff with them. You know, they, they're, they're two hours drive from the, from the nearest town or city. So what we do is we use this flywheel model to energize people and to, but whilst you want to give directions on how things are done, they then carry those things out through influencing their group of their pot of people or their pot of centers or businesses, which which in turn creates that that momentum to um, to grow those businesses out there, and, uh, and 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 that model to me is really useful in decentralized sense, you know, and and I, I found that to be very positive. The experiences I've had over the last ten years on on using that model was was, uh, was very positive. It, it saved costs. For the organization because yeah. you don't need all these layers of which which create the layers of leadership which creates miscommunication you know it's a bit like the chinese whispers when it goes down to the the line and when you get down to the bottom it's completely different to what you're meant to do so we we sort of we sort of rotate with that and it, and it works extremely well you know yeah that's so interesting is there so for those who are listening who might want to look at implementing that where would you start to make that shift away from the um the spread out model and towards a flywheel sort of model to create momentum. Well, much much of that is pivoted around the people you have, you know, that the openness of people, the, the culture of people that, that that you have within your organisation. Um, many many people that that are in organisations are specialists, so they're very good at what they do. They've been doing it for thirty years, and 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 they almost do it without thinking, you know. Those sort of people sometimes can be difficult to turn around and and and, and adjust the way they they look at things. Um, what so what I do is I tend to have those people because we do still need specialists within the group, but then they also have got generalists that that are that are more open that have had experience in similar sort of fields, may not be in the same field. They understand the the, the vision of having a decentralized model that really creates that, that, that productivity. And, and I, I find it that, you know, if you have a, it's effectively like, um, I'm not sure whether you follow rugby, John, but if you have a team of wingers, you're not going to win. If you have a team of props, you're not mm. going to win. You know, so you've mm. got to have different people in different positions. And the, the better, or to me, for individuals who are, the more different they are to another individual, the better it is, you know, 
the 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 debate or the um or, or just the just the the synergy of having different mentality, different skill sets really help. Uh, I'll give you an example for me. I'm a, I'm a very glass half full person. So when I look at something, I go, oh, yeah, you know, I can really do that. Let's do this. Let's do that. And generally, my CFO tend to be the other way around. You know, you look at the numbers, you go, well, geez, the numbers doesn't back that up and all that sort of stuff. And then we will have, we will have some, some pretty, pretty decent discussions on that sort of stuff. In the end, you go, oh, maybe you're right. Maybe we shouldn't do it. Or you go, well, no, no, hang on. Yeah, looking at it on balance, we should do it. You know, that, that, that team mentality is so important. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, wonderful. Uh, yeah, thanks for unpacking a bit of, of how you think about that. So really interesting mm. mindset. Uh, let's jump into. Uh, I, w- I want to just ask you about aha moments. You know, as a yes. leader over the over your career so far, you talked about that great moment at Ray White. I'm just wondering if there are any mm. other moments for you where you just think back and and for some reason it was a bit of a shift for you personally or, or the penny dropped about a particular mm. leadership strategy. Um, a- any aha moments for you in your leadership journey that, that we haven't already discussed that, that come to mind? Oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's not so much an aha moment more so than, than looking at it, um, you know, why are industries, why, why do certain type of sectors do certain things the same way. Um, I spent 12 years in childcare, so I could talk about the early learning sector. You know, um, there's, a, there's a firm belief in the early learning sector that, that um, if you provide good quality education, good quality uh, centres, good quality um, uh, staff and so forth and training and stuff, you're not going to make any money because the, 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 the revenue generation is very low and, uh, and, and you know, the costs are quite extraordinarily high. And so, so the balance of that, you've got to, 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 to become profitable, you have to um, take away some of the quality so then the profit is there uh, in, in the bottom line for the shareholders. I, I completely disagree with that. You know, like uh, it's not a harm moment, but then when you, when you again, did the same as what I did with Ray White, you, you look at it and go, well, look, families are putting their children into your centres. They're not going to do it if, if you've got dodgy staff and, and, and uh, you know, the, the, the furniture and equipment are, are very poorly maintained. So what, what you tend to look at is you tend to go, well, maybe people will pay a bit extra if you can provide better things, which in turn, what we did was we then started bringing in things that really galvanizes parents who wants their children to have a better, better education. And in actual fact, our margin for um for many of the centres went up by between six to seven percent. Now it's not really a aha moment, but it's a it's a moment where you think, mm. why are the industries and sectors you know just run it the way they run it all the time? You know, shouldn't there be a disruptor or not so much disruptor, but is isn't there a way of looking at it from base core cool principle is that we we're we're educating children between the age of you know eighteen months to five years. There there's certain needs mm. required for each of those children. Let's just look at a pure basic and let's just offer as much as we can on that side. On the other side, then we will tell the parents about it. You know, the parents will see what we can mm. offer. And it sort of gels in really well. And, and the profitability side of it is that when you started seeing children enthused and wanting to be part of the, 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 uh, the, the setup, parents loved it. And parents are prepared to pay yeah. for their children to be, uh, to be looked after. So, you know, it, it, it sort of works. It sort of works. Yeah, what, what I'm hearing there as well, and I think this is really important for listeners, is um, that the challenge, the biggest challenge in the childcare industry was actually something that you and the mm. team were able to to change your perspective on and, and it then becomes a point of difference. And I think that's mm. that's very hard to see when you're in, when you're the one on the court playing, you know, it's hard mm. to see, particularly if you've been in, a, in an industry for a long time. Um, but there's lots mm. you can do to to articulate that and when you can take the biggest challenge in your industry and turn it on its head and make it um uh, and see the opportunity in it that's where like you did with that in childcare, it becomes Mm. it it Mm. becomes a legitimate point of difference and it's so a point of difference it's easy to talk about but an actual point of difference that's that is a real game changer is is like Mm. a gold nugget for any organization in any industry you know it's such a yeah. It is a really hard thing to articulate, and once you get it, like yeah. you did there, and and then it it um, the fruit showed in the in the numbers. 
and and those triggers those triggers and pivots really come from listening and understanding of of the the, the sector it, it won't come to you overnight but it will take time so time and pragmatism is still very important to to make sure you get the right strategy no hmm 100%. Well, as we as we start wrapping up, let's jump into Leadership Express. You already mentioned Jim Collins Good to Great. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Yes. Is there another right. is there another book that you <laughs> that as well as Good to Great, which I I just double that recommendation, one of my top 5 of all time. <laughs> um, any other books yes. that you gift to people a lot, Tim, or you you recommend a lot? I, I, I don't I don't um I, I'm not really a a, a book gifter. But um, but good to great really had a lot of impact on me, and I remember years ago I can't remember the the author, but the E Myth. I'm not sure whether you heard of the E Myth. A little while ago, this would be about twenty twenty five years ago yes. when I started my own business. I I, I, I used to um I read this book the E Myth. It says that, well, you know, look it's it's to be an entrepreneur it's almost like a seizure, right? So a lot of people mm. fail because they think that they can do it better than their boss and they can run it better and all that and then. When they come to the crunch, you go, oh crap, I need to do bass, I need to do I need to do tax, I need to get bookkeepers, I need to get all this, and, and uh, things just fall apart. So that that also proved to me that, you know, um, entrepreneurs and possibly, you know, success in business doesn't necessarily mean that, um, or it's not an outcome that you would get if you start your own business. Um, that, yeah, that, yeah. That, Gave me the vision a little bit back then, and then and then good to great really helped me galvanize the understanding of um of how a business should be run. Yeah, the E Myth, Michael Gerber, uh, and That's it, um, Michael Gerber. Yeah, yeah, yeah Michael Gerber, great mm. book, and really, mm. um, yeah, great because it, it's all about the perspective, isn't it? I think one of the yes. that really challenged me as well because that idea that he says in the book that if you are running a business yourself that relies yep. on you and stops when you're not mm. working, then you don't have mm. a business. You just have the worst job ever. Yep. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's uh, yeah. So Absolutely. no, it's, it's a really good one for people to check out. Mm. Um, awesome. Okay. Well, next, uh, next question. Uh, what mm. is one habit? I didn't, this wasn't in the notes. So I'm, um, I'm just sure. bringing this one on you. Is there a habit that yep. you think, in life, in leadership, if you had to pick one, is a great yeah. habit for anyone to consider in their life, um, particularly uh, for people out there who who want to become better leaders. Um, now, this is personal, so I'm not sure whether this means a lot to, to, to many people. But I'm, to me, I, I love to get up early. Um, I get up early, I do exercise, I, I do my, my, my routine, but I try to get into the office by 7.30. You know, I, I, I want to lead by example. To me, that's crucial. Um, a lot of people say, oh, look, you know, if that's not that important, uh, especially post-COVID where people work from home and the likes, I still work out of the office. Um, now, I, there's no stipulation as to whether an individual needs to come to the office or not. But if the CEO is in the office, generally many of them will turn up in the office. You know, I, I like that camaraderie. So, so the the answer to that question is that I, I love to get up early. Um, <laughs> I love to get up early and, and get cracking on the day. And uh, you know, mm. um, I, I don't tend to stay late. I tend to stay till maybe five or six. But I don't. But I'm a, I'm a, a, I think that early rise is uh, it, it really set up your day. Yeah, yeah. At what time when you say wake, you know, waking up earlier, are you are 6 a.m., 4 a.m., you know, what sort of time? No, 5. But I get up between 5 to 5.30. Um, I'm 5.30. At the great dismay yeah, yeah. to my wife. Yeah, she, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I make a bit of noise too, which is unfortunate, but anyway. <laughs> yes, that's right. She's not such a big fan of the early, no. the, she's not an early, necessarily no. an early, uh, early riser. No, I love that. Um, yes. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, great habit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what about um, when it comes to one-on-one -on -one meetings? Do you have any advice for mm -hmm. leaders about how to how to run a great one-on-one -on -one meeting with a team member or a direct report that you have? Um, again, I guess it depends on on what the meeting's about. Uh, generally, I love to hear them talk. So, so I use open-ended questions like, you know, how's it going? Um, now that you've been in the job for a year. How do you? What's your favorite parts of it? 
what are the least part of your role that you're doing? You know, those sort of open, open ended questions and, and through time and uh, well, first and foremost, that, that creates trust. After a while, you create trust and that trust then relates into job satisfaction. Job satisfaction is that then the turnover sort of um, goes down. So you don't lose as many people. Um, for me, for me, the one-on-one time is, is, is very important. Um, I, in fact, I'd, I'd like to do it over coffee or over lunch just to get them away from, um, from the office and, and uh, think about, you know, and, and think about answers that are, that are not robotic. Yeah. Yeah, I love that idea, getting away from the office. Um, that's really, I know it sounds simple, but it's it's such a, I also think it's really great for hiring and interviews um, mm. because mm. if you can get people out of the sitting across a desk from a from you mm. or from a group in at least one of the, um, you know, different parts and, 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 you know, even sitting down at a cafe or and just, just having a chat and, and you get to know yeah. what people are like a bit more because they, they let their guard down and you can sort of, you know, it's not that really, really um, sort of uh, stale uh, interview, yeah. you know, feeling. It's a bit different. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, great, great mm. thought. Okay, a couple more questions. This one can be lighthearted mm-hmm. or serious. What is a yep. movie or TV show that really impacted you? Uh, I don't have one. Look, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a cricket nuffy, so I love watching cricket and rugby and I'm a very sports mad individual, and yeah, yeah. although I'm not very good at it now, I'm a bit, bit old now. But um, also, <laughs> uh, I um, I don't I don't tend to watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of news and, and the current affairs and that sort of stuff. But but not not tend to be movies. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, sport 100 percent counts as a sports yes. uh, uh, fanatic myself. I soccer is my number one sport, or football for those listeners right. on the other side of the world, um, in the UK. But uh, right. cricket also. Um, I, I used to watch anything growing up when there were only a few channels. I remember watching the, uh, you know, the the uh, the lawn bowls. If that was on, I'd I'd watch that, and uh, because I was, <laughs> yes. you know, there weren't met as many options as today. What's your <laughs> ultimate sports? Is there is there any sports event, footy, cricket, where no matter what happens? Um, you are, you know, you are on the couch watching that, or even at the at the venue. Yes. Any sort of favourite sports yes. events every year? Yeah, two are uh, the Bledisloe. I, I love the Wallabies. I'm, I'm, a, I'm obviously Australian, so I follow the Wallabies. And, and even though we get smashed every year by the All Blacks, um, I remember I remember paying for satellite when I was at work. Well, I had a, um, a work trip in Vietnam in Da Nang, and I. I pay for um, I think I paid might have been about twenty US dollars to have satellite just for that particular particular game at Bledisloe at that time. Um, the, the the other one the other one that I, I don't miss and I always watch mm. it doesn't matter where I'm around the world. And again, I've watched it in Malaysia. I've watched it in the New York. Um, it's the state of origin. So yes. I'm a I'm a Queensland <laughs> I'm a Queenslander through and through, and I'm very much. Uh, I very. I, I don't think I've ever missed one since uh, since I came to Australia. To be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah the there state of origin for those outside of Australia. <laughs> the state of origin and the Bledisloe is great as well because um, yes. people should look up the All Blacks, which is the New Zealand rugby rugby union team. There, there's. I think mm. do they do they put, do they still have that record at their um one one of their one of their fields where it's been fourteen or yes. fifteen years or something that's still yes. coming. I believe. <laughs> so, I believe they call it the House of Pain. For all the yeah. all the waitings <laughs> that go there. <laughs> oh, it's just it's one of those records that you go, okay, it's past ten years, it's been long enough now, and it just keeps going. <laughs> we keep losing the Australians, but um, the state of origin yes. is this is these two states in Australia, New Zealand, uh, New Zealand, New South Wales, and Queensland. I'm a Queenslander as well, and and yes. uh, yeah, I I'm very much very much the same. Although it has a bit of a similar, uh, which is good for us Queenslanders, not so good right now. Yes. But there was about it must have been close to ten years where we won nine out of ten or something. Um, it yeah, was. We, we it was won similar. Out of twelve, I think. Yes. It was. Yes. Yeah. It was. Yes. It was good as a Queenslander, but to all our yes. um, New South Wales fans listening, sorry to sorry to bring that memory back. That was. Uh, that was <laughs> and, and the best thing so about no, that that street was that I, I live yeah. in I live in Sydney at that time. Fantastic! Oh, it was a great yeah. bantering in the office. That's that's right because you were everyone would have been absolutely ready to yep. uh, you know 
Mm. And you would have been in the minority. And then you'd, yes, and then yet absolutely. another win for Queensland. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was, a, it was definitely a good time for. Um, so yeah, yeah, for sports fanatics outside of Australia, check out the Bledisloe, check out State of Origin, two of the two of the best sports events um, in Australia. They're great, great recommendations. Yeah. Uh, last question, Tim. Mm-hmm. If you could mm-hmm. only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you yeah. say to them? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, young young leaders generally. Uh, are quite um, wishy-washy when it comes to certain things. You know, back yourself. That is so important. Uh, numbers and words on on pages, and you know, look at P and Ls. You you look at all the explanations and stuff. They all mean important things, and yes, it does. But at the end of the day, your gut feel will determine what's right and what's not right. You know, don't 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 push the gut feel down the list, bring mm. it up the list. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just as important as understanding the numbers as, you know, you look at something, you go, geez, that will work. Even though the numbers may be a little bit on the, on the, you know, if they're on the borderline, but the gut feel is that will work, chance that it will work. Yeah, great thoughts. Uh, wonderful place mm. to land. So for people who've really enjoyed your story and your thoughts on leadership, where can they find you online and also uh, find the organization too, if they want to connect with uh, with, with uh, you at, at yeah. Team Invest? Uh, so teaminvestprivate.com.au is the, um, um, it's our email address. And you can find me on either LinkedIn or um, Facebook and those sort of uh, social media places. Awesome. Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Uh, such a fun episode chatting with Tim about so many different aspects of leadership and, and uh, work ethic, uh, growing up watching his parents seven days a week, seven to seven. And yeah, just uh, I, I just love these stories, um, which, which I've heard today from Tim. Don't forget for our listeners, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day Podcast, two other places you can go to continue to invest in your leadership. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to you, Tim, for being so generous with your time, for sharing some brilliant stories and for being the first person to give a movie TV show recommendation about sporting events, which I'm just so excited uh, because I'm such a sports uh, sports nut as well. So I, I loved uh, I loved that recommendation. But in all seriousness, it was uh, yeah, real joy to, to spend time together. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure, Jono, and uh, I loved every minute of it. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org 
forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O'White, or Clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time. 